our ancestors, they were not only, you know, they weren't just picking cotton. They were planters, they were growers, they took care of the earth. Welcome to Dear Culture, the podcast that gives you news you can trust for the culture. I'm your co-host, Jerry Keith Gaynor, Managing Editor at The Grio. And I'm your co-host, Shauna Pinnock, Social Media Director at The Grio. And this week we're asking, Dear Culture, why should Black people go green? Please tell me what's on your mind. Uh, what is on my mind this week is Makia Bryant. Uh, Makia Bryant is a 16-year-old girl um, in Columbus, Ohio. Yes, a uh, 16-year-old girl who apparently was in foster care. A uh, 16-year-old Makia Bryant allegedly um, made a call to police because she was being threatened by there some kind of conflicting reports. Some people say that it's like other teenagers. Some people are like, no, these were grown women trying to fight this child. Uh, at any rate, Makia um, grabs a knife to, I, I guess, defend herself. And um, police show up, proceeded to, as Makia, it kind of looks like she's like advancing towards another uh, young lady or, or woman, whatever, um, with the knife. Uh, you know, again, this is a very heated moment. There's a lot going on. There's a bunch of adults around as this like street fight is happening. And this officer, this trained marksman proceeds to then fire four shots into the 16 year old's chest. You know, granted, all of that is happening. I think what has infuriated me the most has been watching other black people try to justify the murder of this baby. I don't give a, let me try and watch my language. I don't give a, a rat's ass in hell <laughs> what anybody has to say about, oh, well, you know, she, oh, did you want her to go take somebody else's life or da 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 Y'all, y'all are BSing and you know it. And if anything, y'all should be feeling real ashamed of yourself that you are requiring just a, a, a clean narrative because you do realize this is the exact same stuff that these white people tell us all the time. George Floyd was a drug addict. Oh, uh, 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 Dante shouldn't have been resisting, blah, 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 blah. Screw all of that. These people should be alive. That child should be alive. At the end of the day, she was a friggin' baby. She is 16. I'm real sick and tired of y'all trying to adultify little black girls. Oh, well, she was she was overweight then you know it was all a bunch of stuff going around and da, 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 how was he supposed to know that she was the person who called and da, da, da. maybe perhaps he could rely on his actual training not the marksman training because clearly you didn't rely on that because a marksman to me tells me that you can shoot something from from 20 yards away so i don't understand how did it equate to you for four shots in a child you couldn't shoot her in the leg you couldn't find your taser there were three other officers there their guns weren't drawn so what what had you so trigger happy sir i'm confused and yes we can have the conversation about all the adults that were around her we can have the conversation about how the foster care system failed her how her parents failed her how all these adults around her failed her that's fine whatever but i'm not here for that conversation what i'm here for the conversation of is stop acting as though these officers, these trained officers do not somehow magically are able to find restraint with everybody else but 
us. And I don't like what y'all are doing with Makia Bryant. It's a wrap. No, we're not having that dialogue. We're not having that conversation. If you try to sit up here and justify the murder of a little freaking girl to me, you just gonna have to drop your coordinates because I, I, I want to fight you now. How about them apples? Like th I, there, there's no justification. I have seen, we all have seen dozens, if not hundreds of visual examples of police somehow subduing active shooters, somehow subduing people with AR-15s, somehow subduing white people with knives and machetes and all this other stuff who are not just going after other people around them, but after police as well. And there's not a scratch on them. But uh, but uh, you 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 can't handle a street fight? A knife? A little, a little, little steak knife at that? It wasn't no butcher knife, a little steak knife? Bet, I see it, I peep it. Everybody who wants to sit up here and be like, oh, well, we have to be objective. F you, F your thoughts. There is no objective when it comes to the fact that there's a 16 year old baby in the goddamn ground. There's no objective. There's none. I'm sorry, absolutely not. Because when I look at them pictures of Makia Bryant, all I see is my niece. Makia Bryant was two years older than my niece. And trust and believe, they're, they're, hell and heaven could not stop me. God forbid if something ever happened to my niece. And y'all were out here trying to justify that. As a, I would, quite frankly, I would just be Mitch from Paid in Full. I'm on some real murder-ish, bro. Everybody gotta die, period. So those are my thoughts. Um, I mean, it also ties into, uh, uh, I wanna make sure I get this man's name correct. Is it Andrew Brown Jr. who reports just came out this week, shot five times by police while they were trying to serve him a warrant. Somehow one of the bullets is in the back of his head. To me, that sounds like an execution, but y'all go ahead. Y'all keep, y'all keep finding ways to justify and do, and do the work that these racist white people, that the Tucker Carlson's, that the Donald Trump's, that the, the, the Candace Owens, because I'm sorry, she's not black to me, but fine, whatever, that all of these people are trying to justify. You're doing the work for them. You're, you're making it easy for them. I agree. I mean, I love that you called uh, Makia Bryant a mm -hmm. baby because she was 16. I watched this video, of, a TikTok video of her just doing what teenagers do, you know, and it was uh, a, a great moment of humanizing this young girl who everyone seems to have an opinion about. Um, and, you know, you mentioned, you know, that you know you didn't want to really have the conversation about how systems have, have failed her the foster care system but it plays a role into you know what led up to that moment because we all know that young black and brown kids in foster care homes uh they face really they face great challenges and oftentimes the people who are set in place to take care of them are doing the complete opposite they are actually abusing them and it sounds like there needs to be an investigation not only into the police uh in that led up to her death but the what was happening in the home one we don't there are questions we still have about why was she in foster care what was her relationship like with her own family and what was happening in that home that led her to feel like she had to have a knife in her hand to defend herself mm -hmm. and my heart really broke you know watching that video because i'm thinking about if you're in foster care and you're and you, you feel alone and very it's very clear that in that moment she felt like there was no one there to defend her 
And so she had to defend herself. And in a moment of rage, in a moment of survival, uh, her life was taken by a police officer who, who arguably could have handled it differently. Mm-hmm. And what has been troubling me is not only the death of Makia Bryant, but the death of Andrew Brown Jr. And thank God uh, that uh, Isaiah Brown, who, who did not die after being shot by a police officer in Virginia, uh, but nonetheless, there have been so many police shootings. Mm-hmm. And I said this before in the show, but we really have to treat this like an epidemic because in the president, President Joe Biden, the vice president, lawmakers in Congress need to treat it as such. You know, I never listened to anything that Dr. Umar uh, Johnson says, but he was recently on Breakfast Club. And the one thing that he did that kind of made sense was the fact that Congress moved so quickly to address uh, the hate that Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders are facing during the COVID pandemic. But it seems like when it comes to black and brown issues, when we're being killed every single day, it's not treated or seen with the same urgency. And I would like to see our elected officials treat it as such, because it is, and it has been an ongoing epidemic. And you know, the, the Andrew Brown uh, shooting is very troubling because they released only 20 seconds of body cam video, 20 seconds of probably several minutes of this encounter and Obviously, his family is upset. They did a press conference this week uh, calling in an execution, um, asking for uh, more information. And it's very clear that the, the, the deputies of the police department and even the county prosecutor in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, are trying to hide something. Mm-hmm. And you release a 20 second video, uh, that tells me that there's something that happened before and something that happened after that you are trying to not allow to get to the public. But we all know that. The, that is gonna come out. The press has already filed a lawsuit against uh, the county to get the full raw video of that. Uh, but that is why we have body cameras set in place in the first place to, to be able to police the police. Because before body cameras, we only had cell phone videos, if that. And even when they have body cameras, they turn it off. And you know, so there's, there's so much that needs to be discussed about policing. And again, I'm going to keep saying it. That is why we need to focus our attention in Washington and making sure that Republicans and moderate Democrats in Congress who are um, who are holding back the passage of the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act that we apply pressure because there needs to be a over a overhaul of policing. So not just making sure that they are able to be charged, but that there is new policies put in place for training that we root out white supremacy in law enforcement. Just this week, um, the Homeland, Sec- uh, Homeland Security Department announced that they're going to do their own investigation to ensure that they're rooting out um, members within their organization that might have white supremacist ideologies. Because we've seen reports that law enforcement, police officers, people in the military, uh, as we saw in the Capitol riots, that we have uh, a white supremacist insurgency in law enforcement nationwide. Mm-hmm. And so when I see uh, Andrew Brown being shot and killed, when I see Micaiah Bryan uh, shot and killed, I hate to be a, uh, uh, a conspiracist, mm-hmm. but it makes me feel like with the, with the far right white supremacist uh, underground internet world that we know that's happening, it's, it feels like they're just making a, a, a statement by saying, okay, 
you want to come for us, you want to try to reform police, well, we're going to make sure that we kill every single, as many black and brown people as we possibly can before, before, we, before we are rooted out. And so it's a, it's a cultural, it's a culture, it's a culture divide going on. It's, it's like psychological, emotional uh, warfare going on in this country. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see that the Biden administration is treating it seriously and that they are starting to look at white supremacy as a domestic terrorism issue. Because for so many years, especially with Republican presidencies, we've seen them focus so much on the violence coming from uh, other countries. But the most violence that we have seen in America, especially this past year, has been from white men with guns. And so we have a gun problem in America. We have a racist problem within law enforcement. And it's all connected. And they're seeing the, this, this movement to reform police, to root out white supremacy, not just in policing, but in every way. And I think they're mad about it. I think that there is a concerted effort to push back against progress and we can't we as 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 hard as it as it is to watch these videos to see these stories play out every single day we have to continue to shout to the mountaintops continue to march con report for journalists continue to report these stories continue to uh, apply to call your lawmakers and tell them that we need to pass legislation because we need a federal overhaul here we are seeing other uh, states across the country pass laws to punish protesters, making it illegal, making it a crime to essentially protest, taking away uh, your right to have student loans if you are uh, charged for protesting. <laughs> it, it really baffles me what Republicans are doing because while we're out here saying, okay, we need to have police reform, they're over here trying to uh, make it uh, make it hard for you to protest to take away your First Amendment right to protest. And so don't don't be don't be distracted by the the violence because it's important to to call out the violence, but also pay attention to what they're doing. And they're 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 yet again turning to policy to make it a crime to be black in America and speak out. You know. And now I also want to mention that Lindsey Graham did an interview on Fox News. <laughs> and don't know who he is he's a senator from south carolina and he made the argument he was asked you know is there systemic racism in policing in america and he said that no he doesn't think that, that there's systemic racism because barack obama was elected president and kamala harris was, was elected vice president and so these are this is this is a this is a problem this is this is a huge problem because republicans can just sit on tv and, and sit in hearings in Congress and dismiss what is happening before our very eyes. And it's, it's essentially, you know, they're gaslighting us. I, I read the report about the DOJ deciding to investigate, you know, all of its like internal and blah, 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 and the, these police uh, organizations. And I went, huh, so you know what this reminds me of? That's that Spider-Man meme where he like sees his twin and then like, pointing at each other and I was like oh y'all gonna investigate each other you're gonna investigate yourselves hmm. cute mm -hmm. <laughs> uh but as as it relates to that um Andrew Brown Jr. Uh, case as well I absolutely it's fine you can put on your tinfoil hat uh Jaren that's fine because something in the water ain't clean all right 
And really and truly, these people, they know that fat meat is greasy, okay? We're going to get to the story. Let's talk about, let's talk about more, more, more positive things, Sharon. Let's talk about that. <laughs> so from going from social justice, let's talk about environmental justice. So Earth Day was celebrated on April 22nd. And if you don't know, Earth Day began in 1970 and is an annual event to support environmental protection. As the conversation surrounding climate change continues, COVID-19 has severely impacted communities of color. The Aspen Institute knows that black and brown people are dying at a 2.7 times greater rate this pandemic than their white counterparts. The impact of climate change within the black community is not discussed enough, but that changes now, so let's get into it. Right, so we're gonna talk about, you know, going green. Now, um, <clears throat> going green, I'm gonna read the definition, means taking measures to become environmentally conscious in your decisions, using various everyday methods to reduce the harm that your living does to the environment. Another popular term is sustainable living, which means living a lifestyle that attempts to reduce an individual's or society's use of the earth's natural resources and his or her, and his or her own resources. Now. I uh, I think something that we need to address is there is this very um, interesting concept that Black people somehow don't care about the environment. I don't know how and where this came from, uh, but I think we one thing that we should definitely address has to be you know the lack of education, especially in Black and Brown communities. Um, as it relates to the importance of going green and environmentalism and, and things of that nature. Uh, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts about, you know, what do you think is like the root cause of, of the lack of education, Jaren? Like black people and going green, like when I think about black Americans and their place on, on this land as it relates to the environment, you know, I think that we are inherently green. I think when you think about the history, like, we were we were sharecroppers, you know. We were, we were unfortunately enslaved doing agriculture in America. Our ancestors they were not only you know they weren't just picking cotton. They were planters. They were growers. They took care of the earth, and and it was it's part of the reason why uh, European colonizers brought us from Africa to this land in the first place because we had those skills. You know there you know we often uh, associate watermelons with um, being racist because the way that is used in imagery, but there's a reason because okra, uh, watermelon, black eyed peas, coffee were, were commodities that we were really good at. We had, we were experts in growing that in Africa. And so I think about the great migration and I feel like because black people wanted to escape, um, poverty, escape, enslavement, escape, racism in the South. You know, many of our, uh, I know my ancestors migrated to the North. And with that migration was a loss uh, of that connection to the land. If you grew up like I did in New York City, um, you don't really see a lot of green. You don't really see a lot of land. So I didn't have, my parents were not, uh, they were not growing things. You didn't have a garden. Uh, my grandmother had a green thumb. And I think that when people, people who have ancestors that come from the South typically uh, have family members who are planters and growers. And, um, and you know, I, I saw like a meme, like a, a 
a couple of years ago about when we were really talking, when the conversation about environmental justice uh, was becoming front and center. And there was this joke about uh, Black people have always been environmentally conscious because we all have those Black homes where we collect plastic bags and we put them in the... Uh, <laughs> You put them in your, your drawer, the, mis the miscellaneous drawer. <laughs> Something as, you know, uh, simple as that is in some ways is very, is, you're conserving. And so I think that Black people are inherently conservationist and inherently green. We might not know it and we might not see it every day, but I think that it's a part of our, it's a part of our history. Um, I just think that um, a lot of that got lost, like many things, the same way in which uh, the migration or the, the, the enslavement of Africans bringing them to uh, America, we lost our roots, we lost our culture uh, from Africa. And in many ways, we also lost our connection to um, our, our, our place um, on, on this land, on not just this land, but we, the connection to uh, the environment. I think it's important for you know schools to not only focus on tests to make sure that children pass tests. I think we have to also remember that when we're talking about education, it needs to be holistic. And I think that young black and brown kids need to know um, their their history and know that we are we are we are inherently green. Mm -hmm. And as we move forward in in this in this movement in the climate change movement, it's important to kind of re-educate ourselves about what is green? How do we do it? And I know that for many people, it's overwhelming. It can be actually very uh, intimidating. I actually want to read this piece. Um, it's from uh, Euronews.com, and it's written by a young lady by the name of uh, Sage Anifa Woshe. Uh, and she wrote this article entitled, Environmental Racism Has Ripped Black People Away from Nature. Uh, and she says, the idea that Black people are inherently disconnected from nature and less inclined to care about environmental issues is largely a myth rooted in anti-Black racism. The reality is generations of Black people have been displaced from their native lands by European settler colonialism over centuries. The mass migration resulting in the, in the severing of vital social relations and important traditions that keep Black people spiritually and physically connected to the earth. Vast swaths of land were rigorous, rigorously depleted by enslaved, by enslaved people to make space for more crops permanently damaging ecosystems, as well as destroying recognizable routes that helped enslaved people get free from the chains of oppression. The ripping of Black people from their roots and role as caretakers of the land has been detrimental to their livelihoods and the planet. Black women have been at the forefront of sustainable farming practices, herbalism, and healing rituals, but those traditions were disrespected by white slave owners whose constant tilling of the land and not adhering to proper sowing of crops has contributed to the current environmental crisis. Um, I thought that was something that was just so dope because I was like, thank you. Can we finally get into it? Like Africa being known as like Mother Earth, that's not that's not conjecture. Like there's a reason for that. Um, I think there's also like this, this is gonna sound cold. <laughs> um if there are black people that aren't really, you know, super concerned about like, oh, I'm brushing my teeth, let me turn off this water. Oh, let me, you know, not worry about, let me get an electric car. Like, hey, my bestie in a Tessie, you know, uh, maybe all of these things, perhaps, possibly, perhaps, the reason why they're not giving too much of a damn about the environment is because we're too busy just trying to survive. Okay, like we got, we got, 
we're just trying to survive racism. <laughs> we're trying to survive just, uh, just everything, everything, everything is wrong. And it's, we're being attacked from all sides. So if something isn't, um, you know, unfortunately, if we're not all gung ho and walking around with our reusable tote bags, I'm sorry, I'm going to give black, I'm going to get black folk a pass. <laughs> like we have so much going on, which I do understand, like in the grand scheme of things that sucks because the Gen Z generation and the generation that comes behind them, like if and or when, Jaren, you and I have grandchildren, like I, I know that they're just, they're going to be terrified of like, well, what the hell have we really owned with people? I'm looking at you boomers. Uh, <laughs> what, have, what have we done to destroy this planet that we're living on? You know what I mean? And it's not, and let's be very, very clear. I think black people in particular, we have to take this a little bit more seriously, mainly because let's be very, very real here. Uh, I don't know if you remember this movie, it's called 2012. <laughs> and it was, it's, it's a movie that's basically about like the environment goes to hell and like snow, like ice caps completely melt. Um, New York city becomes like a frozen tundra. Uh, like people are dying, like there's nowhere to escape, right? And then magically at the end of the movie, Africa, kid you not, the continent of Africa becomes the safe haven. And I said, oh, well, look, ain't this about a bit, right? But now, so I keep, <laughs> I keep thinking about all of this and I'm like, yo, if that were to really happen on earth, I think black folks need to remember one thing very, very, and this is so bleak and it's so mean. Them white folks ain't taking us to the moon, y'all. We are not going to be on the first trips out to the moon, all right? I think maybe Beyonce, maybe. <laughs> like, we're not in the first draft of the going to the moon, y'all. We can't escape this. So we here now. This is us. Until Jesus come back. We, <laughs> like, we're here. We have to take care of this stuff because it, if it ain't gonna be police or just racist white people killing us, then it might be the damn environment, okay? This is where we are right now. So let's figure this out. And what can we do as a community to, you know, do better? Now, one thing that we do have to acknowledge is, let's be very clear, for the vast majority of this stuff, like environmental justice and things of that nature and environmental injustice, it's all rooted in racism every single bit of it. Um, I came across this uh, tweet thread uh, back in March um, by a woman by the name of Faima Bakar, who wrote um, another article called I Can't Breathe, How Racism Shows Up in the Air in Parks, Roads, and Housing. And she literally says, you know, black and, black and brown people don't have as many trees and parks in their areas, which is crucial for cleaner air, recreational space, lower crime, and better mental health. Let's be very clear. When we're talking about black and brown communities, the vast majority of those communities are not like rural communities. Black and brown communities are the urban areas or whatever. And so in the US, planting of trees is more deliberate. Redlining means poor communities are literally hotter, like extreme heat that is killing people. Um, even in the UK, areas that have almost no people of color have six times as many parks. Green space pe people of color have is also of poorer quality. Like what what do we do? 
um, you know, and and I give those kind of stats and those kind of uh, uh, commentary that comes from people who are far more knowledgeable knowledgeable about this stuff than I am. And I say all of that because I think we should be aware that there are certain things that we we don't control. We don't control how these white people treat us. We don't control how these white people are being so sneaky and devious and evil villain, like just, you know, <laughs> doing all of these evil ass things. But there are steps that we can take to educate ourselves. There's steps that we can take to, to at least try to help something, you know? Um, and I think we as a community, we're, we're pretty obligated to, to do so. And I, I get it, Black folks. We are obligated for every damn thing. I understand. But what's one more? <laughs> I think it's important for Black people to see it as not just doing it for the, 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 the globe, for mm -hmm. the world, planet, and not just doing it for the country, but doing it for your neighborhood. Because Racism is is rooted in the disparities um, in terms of how uh, climate change um, impacts Black and Brown people. Because when we again when we migrated to these urban cities, what did white people do? They left Rain. and they suburbs. Um, and recently, uh, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg uh, he did an interview with our very own uh, White House correspondent. April Ryan, and he talked about how the the very the very nature of our transportation infrastructure is rooted in racism. Because even when you think about bridges, bridges that were built in these cities and they really low, and and all the car emissions in the neighborhood impacting Black people, and that's why Black people have a higher rate of asthma and health disparities. Um, and cancer, you think about um, uh, uh, Flint, Michigan and the, and the lead water crisis, all of these things are inherently rooted in racism. And so if you're, if you're poor, working class, black, brown, and there are some poor uh, white people too who are impacted by this as well, um, it is, it is, it is it's essentially because white America chose to ignore, ignore us and you know, decided to build infrastructure without us in mind, um, and kind of harping more on the disparities. I want to also read some uh, data that we got from a Princeton report that said that more than one million African Americans live within a half mile of natural gas facilities. Over one million African Americans face a cancer risk above EPA's level of concern due to unclean air, and more than 6.7 million African Americans live in the in the 91 U.S. counties with oil refineries. In total, African-Americans are 75% more likely than white people to live in fence line communities, which are areas near commercial facilities that produce noise, odor, traffic, emissions that directly affect population. Additionally, exposure to poor air quality can cause numerous health problems, like I mentioned, like asthma, and approximately 13.4% of African-American children suffer from asthma as compared to 7.3% of white children. And so always this direct line between racism and the disparities that Black people face. When you think about the COVID-19 pandemic, why, why were Black and Brown people uh, dying at a higher rate than white people. It wasn't because our skin is black necessarily, it's because 
of the pre-existing health issues that already existed because of environmental injustice. Mm -hmm. And so everything's always connected. And then if you have health problems, uh, you might not have good health care because the healthcare system is inherently racist. And even if you happen to uh, survive all that, if you're going, to, if you're driving in your car, you might get stopped by a police officer and get shot by a police officer. So it's just everywhere we turn, there is an opportunity uh, for violence to to terrorize us or be, or for our lives to be inherently in danger. Um, and it's, it's it's very depressing, honestly, but I think it's important for us to. Uh, take back our power to educate ourselves on how we can um, how we can find ways to change policy in our neighborhoods on the local level to ensure that we're not uh, that we're not impacted by environmental injustice or climate change. You know how can we have how can we eliminate food food deserts, etc. Um, but it starts with with us being um, proactive and and being our own advocates because we know that white America is not going to advocate for us. Not at all. And you know what? It's so funny because it brings me, it brings me back to Kenya Barris's uh, Black AF show on Netflix. Because so every title would have like is like because slavery, and it's and and I was like, and it took me a while. Like it was like I think like eight to ten episodes. I was like, why is everything <laughs> coming back to slavery? And I had a moment of like, yo, no, no, seriously everything comes back to slavery and racism. So like you just mentioned, like one of the things like, um, you know, uh, one of the, the conversations that uh, Pete Buttigieg and April, our April Ryan, hey, so roar, ooh, uh, <laughs> ended up having. And I had a whole moment because I was like, yo, something as simple as there is, I cannot remember the name of the stupid bridge bus way area, but there is in terms of infrastructure, there's a there's a, a bridge that basically connects um, New York City and like Long Island. If you ever want to go to like pools and such like that, you kind of have to get out of New York City, right? Like, you, ain't nobody, man, you don't want to mess around with beaches and pools and such in New York City. I don't recommend. <laughs> no, as a born and raised New Yorker, yeah, I don't recommend. Um, and they built the bridge low so that buses could not pass. It. And why did they do that is because black people were by and large using more public transportation. So if we wanted to get out of the city to go to someplace to go to a beach to go to a pool or anything like that. No, 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 because black folks because we live in these urban areas because we are impacted by all of the stuff more and we are paid less we, you know, we're not we're just not walking around with 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 again tessies. We we don't just have our cars and such to to zoom and zip zip out out of our out of our city and out of our state. So it's fascinating and also mind boggling, and also incredibly disheartening and frustrating that like to see even stuff like that happen. Um, you mentioned about like food deserts and things of that nature. I think even that kind of ties into the whole idea of climate change and environmentalism and just honestly, just healthiness in general. And there's even racism rooted in that. It reminds me of this joke uh, that Dave Chappelle had in one of his specials where he's like, he's getting, he's leaving a certain area and he's like in the back of a limo. And then all of a sudden he looks at, he looks outside the window and all he sees is gun store, gun store, liquor store, liquor store, gun store, liquor store. And he's like, wait a minute, where, where are you taking me to? Clearly the hood. 
How do we know this? It's because if you go to, you know, predominantly urban areas, black neighborhoods, et cetera, et cetera, I'll give you a perfect example. I live here in the Bronx. We have white people in the Bronx, but they're, we're very segmented. You know what is the, the white area? And I'm not talking about like the Albanians and the Italian, the Italians, the Italians who were here. I mean, like the fresh new crops of whites who are coming because Brooklyn and Manhattan are too expensive. So they've started to, you know, twist and, and contort themselves up here to the Bronx. I like to call it Geraholen, right? It's very, very far from all of these things. Um, Gun Hill Road is a place that is very, uh, it, it's, it's, it's very urban area ish, right? Uh, I'd say Gun Hill Road, even like around Dykeman, it's, it's pretty much very New York City culture. It's very Latino, it's very black, it's very, you know, all of those things. When you go there, there is no, I, I can't find a Trader Joe's. I can't find a Whole Foods. I can't even find a Wegmans. There's none of those things. And if I do, if there is a supermarket, it's like, oh, here's the food bazaar, which has like half of their fruit is freaking rotten. Here's like maybe a stop and shop, maybe, but it's the bootleg stop and shop. You know what I mean? It's the Met, you know? And we, if you are, if you are living in New York City, these are, I think the best way for me to, to, to explain this for people outside of New York City, it's like, if you had to choose between like a Publix, a uh, Kroger, oh God, I'm giving all the Georgia stuff, a Publix, a Kroger, a Piggly Wiggly, it's very different, right? There's the, the quality is very, very different. Um, but what can I find on Gun Hill Road? Fast Food Central, anything I want. Do you want some checkers? Do you want some McDonald's? Do you want a Burger King? Do you want a Popeye's? Do you, I can't even get halfway decent with a Chipotle. Like <laughs> none of these things happen. Case in point, I'm really into salads right now. I'm trying to lose these pandemic pounds. And so Chopped, uh, it's like a little, you know, artisanal salad, whatever place. One of my favorite places. I have to leave my borough, get in my vehicle and drive to, I believe the closest chopped is 78th street. I live on 180th. That is nuts. Why? We can't have no salad in the Bronx. What's popping? Like I, I can't even have a salad. No, 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 no. I can't have a salad, but I can have this greasy ass burger. And you think of that and you see all of that and you're like, and then you want to sit up here and then complain about how black people are overweight, how black people are unhealthy. These or if these communities that we are in are not even affording us the opportunity to be healthier. Do you know how expensive it is to eat healthy in this damn country? Whole foods should just be called whole check. I get I ain't got it. I ain't got it. So I don't know. I don't know, Jaren. I, I, I know that I definitely see blatant differences between my neighborhood and if I happen to go outside of my neighborhood. What has been your experience, G? Uh, absolutely. I grew up in Brooklyn and Bed-Stuy and, you know, up until recent years before uh, white people with certain incomes moved into the neighborhood, it was the same thing. You would have the corner bodega, the liquor store, uh, 
cash checking uh, building. Oh, I was a cash checking. <laughs> I was a cash. I was a cash checking. <laughs> but very, very few, if really, and no um, access to fresh produce. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 also, I think it's important to educate uh, our our community on on how to properly eat. You know, I'm trying to do that with my family because I'm I'm like. Uh, I'm vegetarian, but I'm kind of like a vegan. I'm a, I'm a chicken. <laughs> to also know what, what to eat, let alone having access to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I've seen this neighborhood change so much, but again, it's because of who's moving in and not necessarily because um, these businesses want to, uh, want to service black and brown communities. And it's really frustrating. I have to, I shouldn't have to make a certain, uh, I shouldn't have to make a certain, have a certain tax bracket um, or even move out of my neighborhood or in your case, travel out of your neighborhood to have access to healthy foods. You know, when I'm home in, in the pandemic and I'm ordering food on Uber Eats, you know, again, I, I order from vegan restaurants and, you know, there are not that many options. And, and, and so traditionally black and brown people just don't, have access to it. They don't have the information uh, to to even know what to do what to do with uh, when it comes to healthy foods. I was I was talking to my mom about you know ways that she could improve her eating, mm-hmm. and we were talking about fruits. Like there were just certain fruits that we didn't eat growing up, and she was like she told me that she did. There were certain fruits that like we were talking about like how to cut certain fruits. Like even like just like things that you would think are simple. Mm-hmm. I think. There is a there is an information gap, um, and we we have to we have to um, address that as we also talk about how we can also conserve and save the environment. But I care less about saving the environment; care more about saving our communities um, and saving our communities. And we are inherently saving the planet. Yeah, so I think the takeaway is that when it comes to environmental justice and climate change, just educate yourself. It's the only way that we can ensure that we live healthier lives and live longer. We want to remind our listeners to support your local Black businesses and donate to your local organizations and religious institutions. The business that we will highlight this week is Unsung Cosmetics. Founded by Catania Bro in 2016, after much frustration by the lack of options within the world of clear sunscreen products for women of color, Unsung Cosmetics was created to provide clean, no residue options that were kind to the person using it, as well as the environment it's being used in. Visit www.unsuncosmetics.com to check out the product line. That's U-N-S-U-N-C-O-S-M-E. E-T-I-C-S dot com. Please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments to podcast at thegrio.com. The Dear Culture podcast is brought to you by The Grio, executive produced by Blue Toulousma, and co-produced by Taji Senior, Brenda Alexander, and Antonio Thompson. See you next week.